The Christian life is a race, and we're all running it with ropes tied to us, dragging a bunch of heavy baggage behind. Today, we'll learn how to cut those ropes. Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. Paul's one thing is running the race, but then he gives us a strategy for how to accomplish this one thing, running this race, and it's a two-part strategy. The first part of the two is forgetting, forgetting what is behind. Now, that's kind of interesting because normally in Scripture, forgetting is a bad thing, right? We forget God's blessings, we forget His mighty works of the past, how He's always taken care of us in the past, and so we worry, we forget about the bondage of sin, and so we re-enslave ourselves to it, we forget about the joy of intimacy with Christ, and so we run after other stuff, we forget principles from Scripture, we come here, we learn all this stuff from the Bible, and we forget. So many of our problems in Christian life stem from forgetting, and there are so many things that are important about remembering, and so God's always given us reminders. We just did communion as a reminder, and so usually it's Remember, don't forget. But here we see there actually are some things that we need to forget. So what was it that Paul was trying to forget from his past? It wasn't, if it wasn't his past suffering and past traumas, what was it? Remember the context. Let's look at the context. Verse 13. He says, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining on towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. Now remember, that's the context of a foot race. You don't look behind you in a foot race famous illustration of that, the 1954 Empire Games in Vancouver, there was a dramatic showdown between the only two men in the, on the planet who could run a sub-four-minute mile at the time. Roger Bannister and John Landy. Bannister had just broken the four-minute mark and then held that record for a matter of weeks, and then all of a sudden Landy beat his record. And so these are the two guys, the only two guys can run under four minutes in a mile. And now these two guys are head-to-head in the games, and it was one of the most dramatic races ever. So you skip ahead to the very last stretch that last straightaway right before the end and landy's still ahead banister's like a couple of strides behind him and they're just both both guys just flying and so then all of a sudden banister tries to make his move and he starts moving he starts catching a little bit and as soon as he does that the crowd sees it and they the crowd just roars and when they roar landy who's in front can't hear the footfall of banister anymore and so he he looks behind him on his left And right then, Bannister passes him on his right and wins the race. It's one of the most replayed videos in sports history. It's this iconic picture of Landy on the left. They're just looking to his left. And right then, Bannister makes his move. That moment became so famous, they actually made a larger-than-life bronze sculpture of it. Landy saw that sculpture, and he said, When Lot's wife looked back, she was turned to a pillar of salt. I looked back and was turned to a pillar of bronze. That wasn't the first time somebody made that mistake. Um, That mistake's as old as the Bible. Paul had seen it. He'd seen it happen. He'd watched the games. And he uses that as an illustration about the Christian life. He says, don't look over your shoulder. Don't look back. Why? It'll slow you down. See, that's the... If you put the phrase in context, I think it's clear what Paul means. What he's saying, what is it that you're supposed to forget from the past? Anything that will slow you down in the race. Anything that doesn't help you run. 
Paul didn't forget his past traumas because they didn't slow him down in his race. They helped him run. When he looked at them from the, a biblical point of view, from what Scripture says about past traumas and God's purposes, they, they energized him to run even better. They helped him because they helped him depend on Christ. So again, what should we forget? There are a couple things that we can see from the context of this chapter. I think one thing Paul's definitely leaving in the dust is all that stuff in verses 5 and 6, right? His, his, his former resume, his old religion. So whatever you're tempted to rely on to make you feel safe, other than God, leave it in the past. Just don't even look back at it. That's one thing I can see in the context here. Another thing I think that's in this imagery, in this context, is not just Paul's uh, bad stuff in his past, before he was a Christian, but even the good stuff during his Christian life. Because he's talking about not looking back in a race. So he started the race the day he became a Christian. And he's running, and he doesn't want to look back at, what he, at the ground that he's covered. So Paul's been walking with the Lord for 30 years. He's been a Christian for 30 years. And, 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 and sometimes there's a temptation to just sort of ride on the strength of your past zeal. right? When you used to really be going after it as a Christian. And, and you just sort of rest on your laurels. You haven't finished the race yet. But you're just sort of saying, well, I've, I've really run good. When you do that, um, if, you, if you haven't finished the race and you stop to admire how much ground you've covered so far in the race, you're going to lose. You can't do that. Finish the race. You, you, you run a marathon, you, you do the first 25 miles, and then you stop and expect a gold medal because you've set all these records in the first 25, and you never run that last mile, you lose. If you've done well in the past, your past life as a Christian, you used to memorize all these verses and you used to do this and you've done all this, that's great. Praise God for all that. But, but keep your eye on the finish line. Don't think about all that. Keep going. Keep moving. Keep striding. Don't look back. So those are a couple things that I, that I think we can see in the context. But again, I think, I think Paul doesn't specify what we're supposed to forget because it's just anything that will slow you down in the race. And there's going to be a host of things. All kinds of things that could slow you down. How about this? How about not past sin, but past guilt? Forgiven sin can't slow you down in the race. That's good for you because it makes you love God more. But, but clinging, to, clinging to forgiven guilt can. Because sin is a reality. If you did something, you did it. And that's, you can't change that. But once you're forgiven, guilt no longer exists. Do you understand that? You say, but I still feel guilty. It's false guilt feelings. It's not real guilt. If you've been forgiven, if God's actually forgiven you, there's no more guilt. It's gone. It does not exist. And so instead of dredging up that sin, beating up on yourself, condemning yourself, forget all that. And don't look back. Strain on towards what's ahead. Past doesn't matter. Future matters. Self-condemnation never helps. It does not help you run the race. It always slows you down. So throw it off. Leave it in the past. Another thing that we should leave in the past is the memories of the pleasures of past sin. Right? You, 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 uh, you're tempted to just recommit the sin in your mind, just sort of go over it in your mind, sort of enjoy it. And we think, you know, we're always like, oh, well, you know, I'm not committing the sin. I'm doing anything. I'm just thinking about it. But what, the whole time you're thinking about it, all you're doing is you're training your soul to love that sin. And you're destroying your desire for God. And you're slowing yourself down in the race. Throw it off. Throw it off. Don't look back at that. 
Leave the pleasure of sin in the past, strain on towards what's ahead, the pleasure of holiness. Another thing to forget, wrongs committed against you. Uh, if someone's hurt you, then deal with it according to the principles of Scripture. Use the peacemaking principles, deal with the thing, and then leave it in the past. Move on. Don't, if someone, when you forgive someone for something, part of what you're committing to, part of what forgiveness means, is it's you saying, I will not dwell on that sin anymore. I will not rehearse it in my mind. I will not look at that person through the lens of that sin anymore. I won't let it affect my relationship with that person. It's gone. I'm just putting it away. So whatever you're tempted to rehearse in your mind, whenever you're tempted, and I know it's hard, if someone's hurt you, you just want to, it just pops into your mind. It just comes into your mind again and again, all day. And, and so you've got to have something planned to think about instead. Every time thoughts come into your mind that you know you aren't going to help you run the race, think of something else. Uh, I mean, have something ready. Like, I'm going to think of an attribute of God for each letter in the alphabet. Or I'm going to think of five reasons, five gestures of God's love that I can enjoy right now. Or something like that takes enough brain power to where you can't think about that and think about this thing that it's supposed to be in your past. Remember what you need to remember to run and then forget anything that's going to slow you down and keep moving. Don't look back. You, you can't drive a car just looking in the rearview mirror all the time. You can't win a race looking behind you the whole time. You don't live in the past. There's no future in it. The future is what matters, not the past. And so it's, it's not wise to let your past control you. That's just foolish. The psychotherapy world will tell you that you can't escape your past because you, that's all you are, is the product of your past. The sum total of everything that's happened to you, that's all you are. That's what defines you, is your past. So if you were molested, then that's what you are. If you were raped, that's what you are. If you, if you did this or you did that or something happened to you, that's what you are. If you grew up in this context, that's what you are. And, and, and if, if people... If evolution were true, if people were just the, the product of meaningless, purpose, purposeless evolutionary processes, then, yeah, that would make sense. Your identity would be nothing more than the sum total of your past. That's all there would be to you, just that. But the truth is, someone did create you. And your creator created you for a purpose to become something, and that is what defines you. Your identity is not defined by your past. It's defined by your future, by where you're going, what you're becoming, what you're turning into. A man is what he is, not what he was. Even more significant, what he's becoming. That's your identity. You ever wondered why the Bible speaks so often of uh, our holiness and our righteousness and so little about our sinfulness? I mean, you just read these descriptions of a Christian in the Bible, and it's like Christians love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they love their neighbors themselves, and they, they're righteous, and they're holy, and they do this, and they're patient, and they're kind. And, they're, and you read that, and like, man, I can barely relate to that. And then, and then you read something like Romans 7, where it says, I keep on doing what I don't want to do, and I keep falling into sin. It's like, yeah, that I can relate to. But there's, so, there's barely any of those passages, and there's tons of those passages that talk about us as being holy. Why is that? Here's why. It's because when God looks at us, the thing that we're going to be forever through all eternity, that's mainly what he sees. Not this thing that we are in this brief moment of this life. See, he sees the big picture. Let me just give you a pop quiz. Who was George Washington? First president, very good. 
Do you know that George Washington became president at age 57? He died at 67, which means for 85% of his life he was neither president nor former president. But I just asked you who he was, you said president. That's because when we look back from our perspective, we can see the big picture of his life. We knew what he became, how he ended up. When God looks at your life, he sees the big picture. He sees the eternal picture. And that's how he looks at you. He can see what you're becoming, what you were created to be, what you are going to be forever and through all eternity. The fact that you haven't quite gotten there yet is incidental. In fact, that's actually where the George Washington illustration breaks down because he was mostly non-president and then he was president for a little bit. For us, it's the other way around. We are a saint will be holy and righteous and perfect for all eternity and we're only sinful in this tiny little stretch of time in this life. So maybe a better illustration would be like a fertilized egg in the womb compared to a fully developed human body. I doubt any of you who walked in here today and looked around at the crowd and just said, wow, look at all these highly developed fertilized eggs. Right? We don't think of each other that way. Why? Because the way you started out, that's not your identity. So don't dwell in the past. There's no future in it. If your childhood was horrible, or if your adult life has been a train wreck, no problem. God specializes in redemption. Man is what he is, not what he was. And what matters more is what he's becoming. What you are becoming is more important than what you were. If your childhood was fantastic, and you've been a spectacular Christian, you've done some great things in your ministry, that's great. Praise God for that. But don't, don't rest on that because... What you're becoming is more important than where you've been. Where are you moving? Run. Run. And that's the second part of the strategy for this race. Not just forgetting what is behind, but the second thing, straining on towards what is ahead. We run with everything in us. You watch those Olympic athletes just straining with every nerve and muscle in their body to the absolute limit, pushing it to the absolute limit. And Paul says that's the picture of the Christian life. That's what the Christian life is supposed to be. Twice in this passage, he says, I press on, I press on. Uh, your Bible might say, I make every effort. That's a word. It means to pursue. It's usually used in a hunting context. It means to chase down or to pursue or to hunt something down. In the context of a race, the idea seems to be trying to catch the person in front of you. So you're lagging behind. You need to catch up and overtake the leader and win the race. That's the word he uses twice. Because you're trying to win the prize. And the prize, this word prize, the only other time it's used in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 9.24. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. So you can see from that verse that it's, it, he's not talking about the bronze or the silver. Talking about the gold. The prize is the gold. First place. So what he's saying is, the Christian life is like an Olympic race where it's, it's as if only one person is going to make it to heaven and you, you're trying to be that person. Okay? That's how you run. So when the quietists say, let go and let God, or rest, don't run, or stop trying and start trusting, don't fall for that. Don't ever fall for that. There's no stronger language that God could have possibly used than the, the language that he used in the Bible for how much effort we're to put into this thing. You, you could, how do you even think of any analogies that would talk about more effort? We're called to trust and try. Okay? Rest and run. 
let go and then let loose and run with everything in you. Redouble your effort to, to run with everything in you to, to after, after that prize. And if you're getting tired, redouble your effort to run after Christ because you're not going to get rest from sitting still. That's not what rejuvenates the heart. What rejuvenates the heart is nearness to Christ. Remember in, first, or in uh, Matthew 11, Jesus said, uh, come to me and you'll find rest for your souls. Run to him. Stretch yourself. Work harder. Double your effort to get nearer to Christ. If you need rest, that's the only place you'll find it. That's what will rejuvenate you and heal you. They don't come from backing off and, and slowing down. It comes from getting nearer to Christ, which means running harder in His direction. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. When you think about who you are, what sort of person you are, it's natural to think in terms of your past. We can't see the future, so we define ourselves by the present and the past. But you don't have to see the future to know it. The Bible tells us what God has in store for his children. Give some thought today to what God has called you to. If you're a believer, it says you are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Imagine your eternal future being like Christ. A trillion years of being like Jesus without any sin. What a blip this whole life on earth will be. Consider that in your imagination until it starts to redefine you in your own eyes so you can see yourself the way God sees you because that's the only vision of you that matters. Lord, we thank you for the prize that you've set before us, the goal of knowing Christ and all that comes along with that. Lord, we're lacking energy. We hear this and we just see our lethargic lives that we get from this affluent culture and we're lacking energy. We just need to be rejuvenated. And we need, Lord, our prayer is that you would give us the energy we need by opening our eyes to the glory of this prize. Let us see Christ like we've never seen him so that we will be moved to run. Those Olympic athletes, they're working hard and it's painful and they love it. They love it because, because of the prize. Make us like that. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians. 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.